My body is a roadmap of pain. Deathmatchworldwide.com, the official online merchandise store that is only for Deathmatch Wrestling. Featuring official t-shirts from No Peace Underground, John Wayne Murdoch, Akira, Madman Pondo, Zona 23, Neil Diamond Cutter, G. Raver, Schlack, Necro Butcher, and many more. If you are a deathmatch wrestler, promotion, manager, or platform, and are interested in joining the web store, send us an email to deathmatchworldwide at yahoo.com. Deathmatchworldwide.com for the violent view. What it is, what's up, and welcome everyone to Faces and Feels. I'm your host, Ray Houston. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest. It is the man known as the uncivil Sato Jin. How are you today, sir? Uh, I'm doing great. How are you, man? Yeah, not too bad, man. I've just been watching some Time Bomb this morning, and uh, yeah, just knocking, knocking off the rust nice and early in Perth, Western Australia. It's pretty late over there for you, right? Uh, yeah, it's about 10.30. Yeah, nice. Over here, PM. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate you making time in your busy schedule uh, to have a quick chat with me. Uh, there's no problem at all. Awesome, dude. <clears throat> so, I um I normally start these shows by kind of asking the same sort of question, which is essentially like when you think about pro wrestling and you think about some of the initial faces that got you into it, wrestlers and stuff that stood out to you. Who kind of stands out to you, man? Early for me, that kind of stood out. I guess the kind of stands out now is uh, Yokozuna. Yeah. That was a good one. Um, Haku Ming. Um, and then a lot of it was a lot of uh, the stuff I got into was like my local wrestling. Yeah. At the time. I didn't really like, I guess, grow up per se watching wrestling on TV. Okay. A friend of mine took me to a uh, local indie show, and those guys are what got me into like watching them yeah. and their crowd interaction and stuff like that. That's what got me into uh, professional wrestling. From there, I was hooked. Oh, wow. Okay, so from an independent level, like a local independent level, it wasn't really like exposure to WWE and stuff. It was like the local guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, cool, cool. And how old are you like at this point when you see your first show? Uh, I was like uh, 20. Okay, no worries. Yeah. So so not even really exposed to it as a kid. So those kind of are more, I guess, you know, golden kids' memories of like uh, superstars and stuff that we hear from most people aren't really something that you relate to. Like it was more like yeah. I'm an older dude and I'm going to this thing and this is kind of cool. Yep, that's exactly what happened. Oh, wow. This is a perspective I've never had before because normally everybody has, like, you know, they're like, I remember I was a kid and I saw Hulk Hogan or, or whatever it was, you know what I mean? So uh, you get pulled along to these things. Are, are you into it straight away? Or at first you're like, what are we doing here, guys? Like, who are these dudes just running around in spandex? Like, what's going on? Oh, I was instantly into it. Like, it caught me right off the bat. Yeah. Like, my first show, I was hooked. And then I was like, how do I 
how do I get, how do I become a part of this? Like, what can I do to get my ass in that ring? From then on, it was just, uh, <laughs> yeah. So is it like your, does it jump out to you like as entertainment and sports? Like, are you a sports guy, guy like going through high school? Are you into theater or whatever? What, what is it that jumps out at you? Uh, I guess it was the entertainment aspect. It was the larger than life characters. Mm-hmm. That was what really spoke to me. Um, I wasn't much of a sports guy. I did a little bit of like judo when I was a kid. That was about the extent of like sports I ever had in me. Um, not yeah, like I said, it's just the larger than life characters, the stories, the crowd interaction. I suppose it's like really cool as well, like to approach it from that way, because it would seem obtainable, right? Like, like I, I've told people before. So growing up in you know Western Australia, wrestling's not a thing. You know what I mean? Like it's an American thing. It's a WWE thing. And it seems so, so far away. And it wasn't even until I was in like my, you know, 1920s or whatever, like when I flew across the country to see WWE come to Australia for like the first time in, I don't know, 50 years or something like that. Yeah. So, And then I didn't see a local show until way later, like into my 30s, I think, before, before that even happened. So for you, when you first see that, are you thinking like, oh, this, this is pretty obtainable. Like, is there somebody I can speak to here? Is there a school? Like, who do you speak to? What do you do? Yeah, I was already like, the town I grew up in, I grew up in the same town as a buddy of mine, uh, Shane Mercer. Okay, yeah. I don't know if he's still around. Uh, but, uh, so he was already like coming up and starting to make a name for himself in my local circuit and that's who brought me to the show and it was from there on i was just like yeah this is what i want to do and he introduced me to some local uh vets in my area who could get me trained and get me in the ring as soon as possible and from then on it was this i was a professional wrestler (laughs) (laughs) it was full speed ahead now was shane mercer the absolute monster that he is today at that point or has he uh quadrupled in size since then he is the he was the, he's always been an absolute monster. Like I've known him since I was like fifteen years old. Wow, twenty eight now. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, he's always been a monster. <laughs> he's he's like a, a ridiculous person to see, like the athletic feats and stuff. You must have been seeing this stuff up close, and you would have been like, "What is happening right now?" A hundred percent. wow so uh, you guys uh is he wrestling on those shows like yet when you go to them or or at that stage is he a fan as well uh he's wrestling on the shows. he's performing on the shows it was like real early on in his career yeah right and is he straight away like i don't know the champion, like cause he's a he's a pretty impressive person. So you'd have to think he's doing pretty well straight away. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't recall. Uh-huh. I don't think he was a champion, but I'm fairly certain he was like semi main event or something like that. Yeah, yeah, because you, you'd see Shane Mercer come in and you're like, all right, we're pushing this kid to the top, like straight away. Yeah, 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 yeah straight out. Like that's it. Cool. So, uh, and with the training, how did you take to it? Like, were you? immediately like this is for me or were you like you know what these bumps suck but you know i know where i want to get to uh i took to it pretty fine Mm -hmm. like i said uh, i took like three years of judo as a kid yeah so that was 
it was pretty much the like I it was it was it was the same thing for me like falling down I had no problem falling down and getting back up or taking hits or anything like that that part never was an issue for me absolutely well I suppose if you've done like a physical sort of sport like that where you've been hit and pushed over and all that kind of stuff it, it's much the same right right yeah yeah cool so do you start wrestling on those same shows with him and then pushing out to tour or or is it like a local circuit for a while? I, it all, always interests me because like for you guys, like towns and cities and stuff, like a lot of things are driving distance and if they're not, it's like a short flight. Like for me, it's a five-hour flight across the country, you know, like if I want to go to Melbourne on the East Coast and stuff. So are you guys like taking small drives? What do you... What's the approach to starting to expand? Uh, my initial approach was uh, I started out wrestling out at my school where I was trained. They had a federation that also ran there. Um, and that federation shut down. Okay. <laughs> and, when that, and when that happened, uh, I was kind of just like, okay, uh, my trainer – Gave me the speech. He's like, "Yep, you're you're out of school. You have no obligations to this place. You're a professional wrestler now. What you do with your career is your own." And I was like, "Okay, where do I go next? <laughs> tell me what to do." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me what to do. Where where do I go? And uh, from there, it was just uh, I hopped in cars. I just with whoever I could hop in a car with. I remember hopping in a car with my buddies. Roscoe eats Lisa at the time. Uh, I was hopping in the car with the hooligans, hopping in the car with Joseph Schwartz and Randy West, uh, the rejects when I could, Shane when I could. It just, that's all I could do. Just go show up at shows and make myself known, and hopefully I got on. And from there, once you see me wrestle, it was, you know, most of the time, People were like, all right, got to bring you back. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, I, I that was sort of how you became a reject, right? Like being in the car? Yeah, I'm fairly certain. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I knew them like early on mm -hmm. in my career. Uh, my early like IWA days, I was riding with them. Mm -hmm. And then I stopped going to IWA and branched out on my own. I started riding with other carloads, and then eventually just it brought me back to the rejects, which was kind of convenient because me and John Wayne Murdoch, we live like 40 minutes away from each other. Oh, well, that, that works out perfect. So, and is that also how you ended up on ICW? You were, were in the card or, or had like those guys seen you and brought you in? Like how did that work? Uh, ICW was just a... Uh, I had basically done what I'd always done, going to shows, just showing up, showing my face, and like, you've got a spot for me, man. I'll fill that spot. If not, I'm here. You know I'm here. Uh, I did that multiple times, and I just knew, like, going from that first event, like, this is the place I need to be. I need to show up here. I need to cut my teeth here a little bit. I need to get on these shows, and from here, sky's the limit. Yep. And that's eventually what happened. Absolutely, and it's been and it's been like that ever since. I, I think uh, there's something to be said for that work ethic, right? Like especially in professional wrestling, that that's what people want to see. Yeah, they want to see your face, see you helping out, 
see that you're a good person, get to know you, and then know that they can trust you for things going forward. Yeah, one hundred percent. That's that's what I try to do my best at. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think in anything that that's probably the way to go. With with um, just rewinding a little bit with Sato Jin, uh, were you? always Satu Jin like the way that you are now and how you portray yourself is that how you began or did you start out as somebody else when I started out I was Shad Satu Mm -hmm. uh basic wild man per Mm -hmm. se thing it was something my trainers threw on me just to help get the ring get me comfortable and then over time, Satu Jin just became like it just became. It just one day someone pitched the name to me and pitched switching it all up, and I was like, "Yeah, this is what I need to do. This is the next step for Shad Satu to die. Now it's time for Satu Jin to step up and be the character, the larger than life character that pro wrestling deserves." Absolutely. And do you feel like? Satu Jin is that thing that all, you know, all the successful wrestlers say. They're like, oh, it's just me turned up to 11. Like, do you feel like Satu Jin is who you really are? Uh, Satu Jin is me turned up to like, you know, 25. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, you do seem rather soft-spoken and uh, Satu Jin is is quite, uh, quite intense. Right, two totally different sides of the coin for me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The the name Satu and then Satu Jin. Did any of those have like significance for you, like, or were they just like things that were given to you? It was something that was given to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe it was my trainer that was just like, "Hey, man, uh, Shad Satu, how's that sound?" Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Yeah, I'll go with that. Sounds good." Yeah, right. So uh, they're just words he liked, whatever, didn't what, it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever gets me in the ring, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, went with that, and then just uh, Satu Jin was. I had just gotten that Majin Buu inspired gear. Yes, and I was like, I need a new name. I need a new like something. Majin Satu didn't sound that great. Didn't roll off the tongue yeah. that well. Mm-hmm. And then uh, a buddy of mine. Uh, Carry Awful hit me up with the name, and he was like Satu Jin. And at first, I was like, Nah, nah, I don't, cause I don't care about that. That sounds awful. And then I just started saying it and saying it and saying it and saying it. And then I was like, You know what, Satu Jin, it is. It rolls off the tongue. It is. It does, and I enjoy it. <laughs> That's it. Uh, are you a big Dragon Ball Z fan? Huge Dragon Ball Z fan. Right. It was. Um. It was one of those things that, like, I guess for my age and stuff, I wasn't exposed to it. And also, I kind of lived in, like, country, you know, Western Australia, so it wasn't on any of our channels. So I, it didn't come across my, um, my I guess, radar until I was in university. I'd moved to Perth, which is, like, the city here. And uh, it used to be on the TV every morning. And my, my friend, I, I was living with my friend and his family. I had no relatives in Perth, so I kind of moved in with them for a while. And my friend would watch it. And I would be like, is this fight scene going for like three weeks? Because it'd just be like, go to powering <laughs> up, you know, for like six episodes in a row. And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, okay. 
but much later we would then like go back to the DVDs and stuff when you could watch them all in a row. You know what I mean? Like all together and stuff. And we were right about it. It was hard watching it in episodic form. I was like, this is taking a very long time. But when you watch those kind of like big intense fight scenes and long power-ups all in like one sitting, they're pretty enjoyable. Oh, yeah, for sure. That was like, I remember growing up, that was the main gripe of all my friends who didn't like DBZ. It was like, bro, I don't like the fact that it's taking 30 minutes for him to charge up an attack. That's a whole episode gone. Like, I could be watching something else. And I was like, ah, but you got to watch him in order. And he's like, ah, most of my friends didn't give it a chance. I was the, I was the uh, weird nerdy kid who enjoyed DBZ in my hometown. Also, I grew up in like a small, like mountain town, population 800. So oh, wow. it's, yeah, it was, it was real small. It wasn't, wasn't too many people out there who enjoyed the things I enjoyed. So. Absolutely. So you yeah, find it, find yourself pushing outside and, and looking for other things. Was there, the internet would have been relatively, I'm trying, I'm trying to calculate our age differences cause I'm quite old. Uh, <laughs> now, and I'm like trying to figure out and stuff. Like you would have, you would have had like uh, MySpace and stuff like that. Like you could see stuff on the internet to learn about stuff like Dragon Ball Z and things like that at that point. Or, uh, we didn't have. Uh, let's see. When I when I grew up in Idaho, uh, internet was basically the only place. The only place that had internet was our public library. You could sit on the computers for like. 30 to 45 minutes at a time. Uh, and yeah, that's where I basically Googled all DBZ related items behind <laughs> in secret. Because I didn't, I didn't want anyone to know I still like the stuff. <laughs> you sound like me at, at the time, like when, when I was in high school and when, you know, they first started getting the internet, that was me with wrestling, right? So. Nobody else liked wrestling. Nobody else really knew what it was. <laughs> I remember, like, we had to make a website one time, like, on GeoCities, and I made one. It was just all DX crotch chops and GIFs and stuff like that, you know what I mean? Like, and I would, like, look up WWE.com and, you know, see these, load these tiny little, I guess, shockwave clips or whatever they were called, you know, and it'd be all pixeled and stuff and seeing Bob Holly splashing uh like Al Snow's head in the the river <laughs> I was like this stuff's so cool but literally nobody else gave a fuck about it bruh literally the same thing except mine were pixelated pictures of Goku <laughs> but I, and, yeah, and they were all and they were all in black and white because they like charged an extra like 25 cents for color pictures and all I had was like dimes <laughs> <laughs> so you were printing them out yeah, I'd print them out and just post them all over my wall. That's sick. That's sick. That's a real fandom right there. Oh, goodness. But more on the, the origin of Satojin, the, the pose that you do is um, pretty striking. And uh, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Jeremy from uh, I Got You Five Stars, was like, make sure you ask him what the eye thing's about. Like <laughs> when you like uh, pull down on like your your eye, uh, was that based on anything in particular or is it just something that came out one time? Uh, it's just a uh, very, I, I want to say it's a generic anime pose that I've seen a lot in oh, a actually, bunch of different shows. Now that you say that, I can remember various animes like always doing that. And I was like, this must be a Japanese thing, but I don't know what it is. It was always, it, I, I, I took from it always meant like deviousness and like 
And kind of like it was kind of like saying "fuck you" without saying "fuck you." <laughs> <laughs> well, it's cool. I mean, it stands out. Nobody else does it. Um, the only person, other person I can think of that does an I thing really is uh, like obviously Naito does the thing where he like stretches out his kind of eye, but yours is completely different. And I think it's very important for a wrestler to have a pose. Oh yeah, for sure, one hundred percent. Like uh, this post is to be on. Um, so. You, Beyond Dragon Ball Z and stuff, big anime fan in general? Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen Tokyo Revengers? And do you know that they're doing a live action of it? Because it looks fire. I have not given myself the time to watch Tokyo Revengers. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I probably should. I'm just, I'm so far behind as is. (laughs) And also I get a bad habit of like, I want to go back and relive nostalgia shows. And then 90% of the time I regret those nostalgia shows, but... It's a love-hate relationship, and oh, I'm okay with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I know the same thing. I'm that with wrestling. And I do try and, like, I'm, I definitely enjoy anime. I'm not, like, the hugest fan. I'm not up on everything I should be. But I recently watched that, and I would 100% recommend it to anybody. If you like a bit of anime, Tokyo Revengers is a great show uh, about a bunch of kids getting in fights. It's pretty good. Oh, I have seen it, and I've been like, man, I need to watch that. And I just haven't sat down and been like, I'm going to watch it now. Yeah. Next next long drive or whatever, make sure it's queued up and you should pump it on, man. It's really cool. And apparently, like, the live action just dropped, like, in Japan, and it broke, like, live action, I guess, anime records or whatever for most watch movie or something. I typically don't care for the live action no, adaptation no. anime. Normally, I don't, no, though. What's the – the Death Note ones were pretty good. Cool. Yeah. Kind of. Hey, I I saw Death Note the musical in January of 2020 uh, in Japan before, you know, the world ended. Uh, And let me tell you, that was an experience because imagine everything you like from Death Note in a live action musical. Uh, That's real (laughs) fandom right there. I don't think I want to see Death Note the musical, but... I guess I probably would end up watching it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, it's not something I would download or whatever, but if you're in Japan and you're going around and seeing stuff and then you can walk in a theatre and see it, you're like, why would I not check this out was sort of how we approached it. It was a pretty good good show. I feel feel that. Yeah, I would do that. Yeah, yeah. Never mind. Exactly. I'm a little bit of a low-key musical fan, to be honest. I, I studied at the Western Australian Academy of Performing Arts, uh, and I worked on quite a few musicals and plays and things like that back when I thought I would maybe work in theatre and it destroyed my love of it. But <laughs> so occasionally I do have a, a bit of a penchant for a sing. Not so much for you. <laughs> I I enjoy musicals. I don't have like a super big fandom into them. No. But like I, I have, I have, I have a few that are my favorites. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, if you like them enough to have a couple of favorites, then it counts. Anyway, this podcast is well yeah. off the rails at this point. So <laughs> <laughs> let's let's focus back up real quick. So, um, I'm as I was saying, most familiar with you through ICW, and you've really been picking up steam. I think you've had some amazing showings recently, and uh, for Ruthless Pro Wrestling as well. Um, how was it leading into the Deathmatch Circus weekend for you, man? Because those, those were some pretty big standout shows. It was good. It was a typical weekend for me. Like, I was looking forward to the Deathmatch Circus. I was looking forward to seeing all the, uh, all the fans there and all the stuff I was going to do outside of my match. Uh, and then, like, going into my matches, for me, it's just 
let's go do this. Like, it's business as usual for me. I'm going to go out here and make shit happen. And then afterwards, I'm going to get really stoned and hang out with the fans. <laughs> <laughs> well, how did it? I guess then, uh, so the the logical question for me then would be, so you're into independent wrestling, you become Satu Jin, you start breaking out, you're jumping into cars, you're doing that. When do you make the transition to deathmatch wrestling? Like, because if, if you weren't really exposed to, you know, WWE and things like that, and it was mostly independent stuff, when did deathmatch come across your door? Was it something that was just like... Uh, proposed to you at a at a show, or did you start seeing it around and you're hanging out with friends who are doing it and it catches your interest? Okay, uh, so I was working for IWA at the time. Prince of the Death 2016 was my first ever death match with a man named Deadly Dale. Uh, I had showed up there just to help out, and it was basically someone had no-showed, so it was like, hey, man, you're going on now. So I was like, okay. I got this. Sounds good. I've uh, never done a death match before. They said, "Doodle, dude's fine. Uh, he'll walk me through it." Uh, did the match. It was easy, and I probably didn't do another one after that one round in Prince of the Death for about another three years, and that was with I think I want to say Neil Diamond Cutter. And that was the one that was like, all right, I got to do death matches. I like this shit. This is fun. <laughs> right. So the, the first one was, was not super hard and was okay, but it didn't really spark that fire. But then you jumped back in with Neil and you were all about it. Yeah, 100%. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, That's really what I-, I know you guys are, are, are good buddies and stuff and you've been – tag teaming together as well so is has he been like a pretty big influence on you and your style going forward uh yes and no uh like neil's neil was there when i was traveling with the hooligans because he was with the hooligans Mm -hmm. and uh a lot of my a lot of my style comes from them and which he's with them so i guess it's a yes and no thing there. So it's like a lot of my style comes from them. A lot of my style comes from him. A lot of my style comes from just traveling and watching other people work that I like. Just like watching and learning. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Nice. Um, and so once you, you've done the one with Neil and you start getting into it and picking up steam, how, how does that affect like the day to day life? I guess is how I often wonder for for like a deathmatch wrestler because usually I'm guessing at first you're not immediately doing it full time. You're working a shoot job, but there's also a certain amount of aftercare bodily that needs to be done when you're somebody that's you know gone and like bled everywhere on the weekend. So did you start to find it like an inconvenience, or or is the the recovery not really that big a thing for you? And the recovery is not really that big a thing for me. Like, I, I, like not to brag or anything, but I tend to heal pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I've never really had any issues. Well, I know I, I, I messaged you after the uh, match with John, Josh Crane, which was 
crazy that that uh that glass pane match and you're like yeah i'm a little bit itchy i'm fine and i'm like i thought you were murdered it was what i thought it happened yeah that that that's literally if that's that's probably my biggest complaint is the itchiness i get from like all the little holes that i can't reach and stuff like that that's about it yeah, stuff right. healing itches <laughs> <laughs> that would probably drive me crazy i reckon um how that match the one with with josh crane was especially a big standout for me. Like when I think about Satu Jin matches, and I've seen quite a few now, um, that Josh Crane match was really cool, man. Did it feel like something special when you were in it? Yeah, 100%. Like, I don't know, just everything seemed to just go exactly the way I pictured it, and that rarely happens. So, yeah, it just it felt different. It felt like, I don't know, we had something there. Mm-hmm. It was Have- just grooving well. Yeah, yeah. Have you um, wrestled Josh before? No, that was for. Oh, oh well, we crossed paths in like multi mans, and like uh, he was in this death match Armageddon that I won. Uh, but other than that, yeah, we we crossed paths briefly, never one on one. Yeah, right. So one of those dance partners that when you're in there with him, you're like, oh, hang on, this is this is all going to plan. Yeah, it was dude, built smooth. <laughs> like I said, got that groove going. It was just easy. Bad he, and that's he, what I like. Yeah, exactly right. He's crazy, man. Like uh, when he puts the glass paint against you and then just elbows through it with his own arm, I was like, uh, okay. Yeah, that shit was bonkers. <laughs> it's literally insane. I was like, what are you doing? And then speaking of insane, the other person uh, that you went up against was in the pit, and it was the Carver. So making you kind of my personal hero because you defeated a serial killer before my eyes because he's terrifying. <laughs> What's it like uh, fighting a serial killer? Uh, different. <laughs> it was different. It wasn't like, I don't know, I threw him through that door and then... He gets back up, and it's... Uh, like in the thriller movies, right? Like where My- Mike Myers yeah. or whatever just gets straight back up, and you're like, hang on a second. Yeah, you're like, hold on, hold on, wait, wait. You don't do that. That doesn't... That's not how that works. No, that's not physics. Like, I, hit, I, I, hit, I hit people, and they stay down. I throw people, and they typically stay down. Don't, don't get back up on me. Yeah. You had to go to another gear, but it was a great match, man. Were you happy with that as well? Like, I felt like that weekend for you was just killer. Oh, yeah. I loved the whole weekend for me. Every match I was in, freaking the 4-4-0 and us, the rejects, was oh, yeah. a good match. And then the the pit was an even, like, that was a good standalone match for me. And then freaking to top it all off with Josh Crane was, I felt pretty good after that weekend. Yeah, no, I, th- I think you should. And uh, yeah, it was, like I said, it was a standout weekend for you. And I think uh, a lot more people would be taking notice of what Sato Jin has to offer, you know? Like, ever since you first popped up, you've just been like building up steam and building up steam. So I guess the question is, what's next for you? Have you got, um, have you got any plans? Is there, um, you got your sights set on anything in particular? Cause, um, I know you guys are in the same faction and your buddies and everything like that, but gold speaks, right? And John Wayne Murdoch's wearing the big boy belt at the moment. Yeah, John's wearing the big boy belt. <laughs> he can hold on to that for a minute. Yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm the type. I'm more in it for the ride. I just want to fucking go out there and prove myself even more, 
and fight whoever I can fight. And when the time comes, I'll come knocking at John's door for that belt or whoever's door for that belt. And it doesn't matter who it is That's, if he keeps it. You know? Well, I mean, he's got a pretty tough test coming up ahead with another Iron Man match against Eric Ryan. So uh, it's going to be his biggest test to date. You guys going to be watching out for any uh, four four zero shenanigans while that's going on? You guys got to be watching on the curtain, right? Well, it's just me. Uh, I've got my hands pretty much full with Heathen with his big ass oh. that weekend. But, I mean, if he needs help, he'll, he'll ask for it. I guess we have a sign or something like that. <laughs> throw up the, the reject signal? Yeah, he could, he could throw up something. <laughs> he, just scre- out, bro. He, he just screams, Sato! <laughs> like that. that is literally probably what he will do if he needs my help. <laughs> Amazing. And then you'll uh, come running. If you if you yeah, can, then I'll come running. <laughs> so, if I can, yeah, exactly. Come crawling. Also, I've got, yeah, I've got a big match too. I can't be coming and helping him. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, he's a he's a pretty big, capable man. So I think he'll be, he'll be more than fine. Yeah, he's he'll be fine. Exactly. The track he knew what he was doing when he signed that contract. He's good. Exactly. Um. So it's an hour to the ace. <laughs> Exactly. Well, exactly right. And I mean, he's done it once before, so you've got to lend experience uh, to him. I suppose the worry is that, like, um, how that tread's looking on the tyres, you know what I mean? It's been a couple of years of being at the top, and that takes its toll. So as we uh, as we wrap up, bud, what I normally like to do is ask people what uh, they're feeling in wrestling at the moment. So if you had to recommend anything, and it can be your own stuff as well, uh, what are you feeling right now? Like are you um, uh, any particular promotions you're all about, uh, any particular wrestlers that you think people need to be keeping their eye on? I mean, obviously I'd say keep your eye on ICW. No Peace is always good to keep your eye on. Watching Time Bomb Pro right now, I'm going to have to start keeping my eye there. What a show this weekend. Oh yeah, pack and like like just from top to bottom, like just an absolute great card. That isn't a lineup I would hate you to add a Satu Jin to. That is not a lineup I wouldn't mind seeing Satu Jin on. <laughs> exactly. Look, Suzuki's around. I'm just saying, Satu Jin versus Suzuki isn't the worst lineup you could see. Not at all. <laughs> not at all. You're like, oh, I guess. <laughs> exactly right. So yeah, deathmatch horror story this weekend. Um, who is it that you're fighting again? Uh, Heathen Cruel. Oh, yes. Uh, I remember seeing him on the poster, but I'm not all the way familiar with him. What's uh, what's his deal, man? I don't know much about him myself, to be honest. This is what, this is what I'm going into. I uh, knew the former him. The former him? <laughs> uh, I don't, okay, mysterious. Yeah, I knew, I, knew, I knew Logan Creed. I don't know this heathen cruel guy that he's now become. Oh, he looks very scary. Yeah, he's, he's, he's large. <laughs> Well, you're not exactly a small man yourself, and you also have a uh, track record of uh, beating serial killers. So, you know, add another one to the list, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I have no problem chopping someone down. Exactly. Speaking of chopping, where did you get that fuck-off uh, knife thing that you carry around? What's the what's the story with that absolute terrifying weapon? Uh, I just found it. What? What do you mean you just oh, yeah, found was... it? Well, on the side of the road? Like? <laughs> No, 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 not at all. <laughs> I'm like, that could be a murder weapon. Get rid of it. No, I found something similar to it. 
mm-hmm. at a yard sale, and I asked about it, and dude worked with wood, and it was called a Catawba. Okay. And I looked it up and found blades for it, and yeah, I've had it ever since. Wow. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty cool. Is it um, a Catawba? Uh, what's the history of it? Is it like a Japanese like cooking knife or something? It's like it's a Japanese uh, handsaw, mostly used for woodworking. Oh, okay, for woodworking. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, I'm not really sure what kind of wood you would <laughs> use it on. It's huge. Is it like chopping bamboo or something? Uh. Pretty much chopping any type of wood, I would assume. I don't know what what whatever carpentry you're into. <laughs> <laughs> whatever carpentry hobbies you need, uh, use it as you see fit. Yeah, it, it, uh, from what I, what I remember, the guy telling me the way it's designed is it cuts different than like your traditional saw right. for like a cleaner cut. Maybe I don't know. So is it like I'm a, a car- like a hacking or like <laughs> a sawing motion? It's more of like a push motion, like where you would pull with a normal saw. This one is more of like pushing. Oh, okay then. And that's quite interesting when being used on uh, human flesh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like it. Yeah, there we go. I always like it. Uh, one thing, like when I bring up things like that, so when you think about your your kind of gear look and then like the pose and you think of like the kataba, like – there's certain pieces to the action, uh, the action figure that is Sato Jin that appeals to me. Like I like to think of like if I was to buy like a wrestling action figure, what would they come with? And I think every wrestler like needs an accessory, right? And I love that you have one. Oh yeah, hundred percent. That's <laughs> honestly the idea I had going into it was I needed a, uh, something that was mine. Yes, that made me stand out. Exactly. Hacksaw Jim Duggan's got a two by four. Uh, right, like Jake has a snake. Neil Diamond Cutter has a staple gun named Bob, and Satu Jin has the Kataba blade. Am I saying it right? Kataba, Katabo. Yeah, it's Kataba. It I believe I could be hacking it up too. I don't know. <laughs> Look, anybody listening to this podcast, we're not uh, Japanese woodworking experts. We're just doing our best to, <laughs> to get through it, and uh, I don't think you're using it for woodwork anyway. So I'm sure it's totally fine. Yeah, I'm definitely not using it for what it's meant for. That's my. <laughs> That's it. Hey, so tell the people where to find you on social media, man. Get all those followers' eyes looking at Sato Jin. I am probably the easiest person to find on social media. Really? It is Sato Jin on all social media. And I'm the only one. Like, there is no other Satu Jin running around. <laughs> that is amazing. And also the fact that you got to be that on every social media platform makes it a lot easier as well because then there's only one to remember. Right. You search that on any – you search that on Google. You search that on any social media platform. You're going to find me. That's really cool. I have that benefit with my real name but not with my podcast. <laughs> Rafe Houston is easy to find. Faces and feels can be a real pain in the ass, I think. Oh, I bet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I thought it was a funny pun name, uh, and I guess it is, but there's like other genres that use that, you know, like modelling and stuff. So I think uh, occasionally you have to maybe dig a little bit harder. So, yeah, at Faces Feels cast is the way it had to be. I couldn't just get Faces and Feels, which is a shame. Were you in the car when the deer incident happened? Yes. Okay. So I've, I've heard this story from a couple of people's point of view now. Were you asleep when it happened or or what was yeah. going on? Because it was quite early in the morning, wasn't it? 
yeah, it was like three o'clock in the morning, I do believe. And I was snoozing in the front seat. And next thing I know, I heard a crash. My mindset was like, oh, maybe the driver had fell asleep and hit like the center, like the middle piece in the highway. Nope. We got it. We made it to the next gas station, got out. And we only reason I knew it was a deer was because of all the hair and stuff that was still locked in. And they said they hit a deer. Oh, man. (laughs) So, so when you woke up that like you, they didn't stop immediately. Like they just kind of kept driving. Oh, they pulled over, but we couldn't see anything like right. in the in front of the car because it was too dark. So we had to get to a gas station where we could like perfectly assess it in the light. And it was a, it was obviously evident that the car was in trouble, right? Oh yeah, it was it was it was screwed. It was dead. <laughs> Jeez. Jesus, was the could you even see the deer or did it like run off or whatever or you know flipped it okay. aside it, and it was done? It, it, it ran off, we're assuming, because I didn't see it. Whenever we stopped, like right afterwards, I didn't see nothing back there in the road or anything. Like, I think it got hit in its ass pretty much and then dipped. Right. So here's the question. If there was no body, how do we know it's, it was a deer? Is there any chance this could have been some kind of Sasquatch scenario that John Wayne Murdoch is covering up and doesn't want to tell anybody about so he doesn't sound psycho? I mean, doubtful. I feel like that <laughs> We we just smashed more of the car. <laughs> I thought you were going to go well, doubtful because they're not real. <laughs> yeah, nah, I'll, I'll give you Sasquatch. I just it was too low. <laughs> yeah, I got unless it. you just like football stance tackled the car coming on. Yeah, yeah, I, I see what you're saying because if it was a Sasquatch, it would have been like in that movie Hellboy where you would have hit it and then the car would have like flipped over the Sasquatch and you would have done like a full 360 in the air and then like landed on the ground. Yeah, we wouldn't be doing this podcast. No, right it'd be all over. Well, I'm glad it wasn't. I'm glad it was only a deer and I'm glad you guys made it safe and sound. Um, it was really impressive that you guys actually managed to get to the show, I thought. That was, that was quite a harrowing sort of experience, right? Oh yeah, that was that was something. We had to get changed in the car and run into the casino and find out where the actual event was happening in the casino. Oh. I got there like literally five minutes before my match. Oh really? Straight yeah. into it. Who who were you wrestling that day? It was me and Jeff Cannonball. Oh right, right. So walked in and just go, Hey Jeff, straight into it. Yep, yeah, that's pretty much it. Oh man. That's crazy. Well, I think it speaks to the work ethic of you uh, and of the rejects that you guys still made it. I think a lot of people would just go, this is a write-off for today. You know what I mean? Like, we can't go anywhere. We're stuck here. We just need to go home. I need to see a chiropractor or something like that. So uh, I, I think it probably speaks a lot to the fact that you guys kept on grinding and got there in time. No, nah, there was no missing that. <laughs> exactly right. So... All right, man. So as we head towards uh, Deathmatch Horror Story, you got any final words for anybody who's getting ready to catch out the show? See you there if you're going to be there. Uh, enjoy it on IWTV, guys. Uh, if you're going to be there, let's smoke. You know how it goes. <laughs> Come see the man himself and hang out. Yeah, for sure. That's it, man. So everybody, check out at Sato Jin on Instagram, on Twitter, uh, everywhere you can catch Asatu Jin, check out ICW No Holds Bar, check out the Deathmatch Horror Story, and remember, it's all about peace, love, and pro wrestling.
Thanks everyone for listening. Faces and Feels is a DIY project created and edited in-house by me, Rafe Houston. You can show your support by following us on Instagram at FacesFeelsCast, Twitter at FacesFeelsCast, and Facebook at FacesFeelsCast. Or send us an email with topic suggestions or feedback to facesandfeels at gmail.com and don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. Our banger theme is Loose Lips Sink Ships by the Thunder Vipers. Check it out on Spotify. And now hang around for a quick word from some friends of the show. Peace out. My body is a roadmap of pain. Deathmatchworldwide.com The official online merchandise store that is only for Deathmatch Wrestling. Featuring official t-shirts from No Peace Underground, John Wayne Murdoch, Akira, Madman Pondo, Zona 23, Neil Diamond Cutter, G. Raver, Schlack, Necro Butcher, and many more. If you are a deathmatch wrestling promotion, manager, or platform, and are interested in joining the web store, send us an email to deathmatchworldwide at yahoo.com. Deathmatchworldwide.com for the violent view.